0: To another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Today is June twenty eighth, two thousand and sixteen, and I am your host, William Hill. And uh, today we have the pleasure of doc, uh, talking with uh, Dr. Nick Wilborn. He is an adjunct professor of church history at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, and we're going to be speaking with him in a minute about uh, the summer theology course that I, I think he's done a couple, a few times now, and he'll correct me, I'm sure, in a minute, but that Greenville Seminary offers um, every year um, at the campus uh, of the Seminary in Taylor's, uh, South Carolina. And I'm looking for the dates, and I can't—oh, there they are. August 8th to the 12th, uh, the Summer Theology class, Southern Presbyterian Theology, taught by uh, Dr. Nick Wilborn. And we'll get to that discussion and kind of a highlight of what's going to happen for that week um, in just a minute. Uh, just some important news information for those who are avid listeners to the podcast and uh, regarding our mobile app um, the seminary has de- has decided to phase that out and so it will no longer be updated um, in the future um, so uh, what we recommend you do is utilize our Sermon Audio account. It's GPTS in Mount Olive. You can just go there and search for us, and the, the podcasts are all there as well. Um, if you want more information about that, you can go to the ConfessingOurHope.com website. There's an article there on exactly how to do it, and uh, that should help you listen at least to the podcast and other things on the go uh, using your smartphone. So uh, just be aware of that and, and understand that the, the mobile app, will not be updated um going forward Uh, if you want more information about the seminary of course the website is gpts.edu so dr Wilborn, it's great to have you back on um i think we did this last year and we've both come back from a very busy week and catching up a little bit probably but thanks for taking the time to do this and um appreciate appreciate you being on
1: Uh, it's great to be here thanks for having me
0: so uh Southern Presbyterian theology, uh, right away the name, um, forces one to think, well, okay, Southern Presbyterian theology, it's not Presbyterian theology. So how is, what does that mean? And and how does that differ maybe from Northern Presbyterian theology, if I could use that?
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm sure sometimes some people say, well, you know, why do we, why do we do this? Uh, and yet, you know, we we do it in a lot of ways. Uh, most most seminaries, Reformed seminaries certainly, have some kind of class uh, on um, perhaps they call it an introduction to Reformed theology. Uh, I know we at Greenville do. Uh, there, you look at Calvin and the Westminster Standards and sort of a intro to you know those those first couple of first hundred years. Um, the, the Princeton theology has been has been studied uh, as its own uh, little uh, course of study for many years, and rightly so, with uh, men like uh, Archibald Alexander, who was a southerner, by the way, from uh, hmm. Virginia, Charles Hodge, Samuel Miller, and you work on through, you know, to A.A. A. Hodge, to B.B. B. Warfield, to Metchen, and, you know, the... the Old Princeton often discussed in terms of the Princeton theology, and uh, and so back uh, when Dr. Smith was studying at the Free University of Amsterdam under G. C. Burkauer, uh, you know, the question came up of well, what what's an area of study that's been you you think may have been neglected in the American scene, and um, and Dr. Smith thought of the Southerners. Uh, At the same time, it's interesting, we don't have time to go into it, but at the very same time, there's a a, a professor at Duke University in the history department who had uh, began to encourage his students to, uh, to look at some of these Southern theologians. Now, he wasn't being specifically Presbyterian, but... Look at some of these Southern theologians who had significant influence in the in the eighteenth, uh, nineteenth centuries, and so you had during uh, during the nineteen fifties and sixties a number of Ph.D. dissertations coming out of Duke and some other schools that were focusing on the Southern landscape as well, and so what Doctor Smith, you know. It, he'd already somewhat been primed by that so when he went to free university amsterdam and the question arose what's an area of study that there's a there's a great dearth of knowledge about he thought of his own particular church the 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 presbyterian church and the southern theologians and so he ends up producing what we know now as the studies in southern presbyterian theology where he goes through and and highlights a number of the number of the southern theologians, from Archibald Alexander to William Graham in Virginia, who was uh, Alexander's mentor to uh, uh men like thornwall dabney uh, Gereau mm. and others and Of course, you have to throw in, and I do uh uh, Charles Colcock Jones, C.C. C. Jones, the Georgian, as well as uh, Thomas Peck, uh, who was a South Carolinian successor of Dabney's when Dabney left to, to help start the University of Texas in Austin in the 1880s. And then uh, one of the thornwell Gerardo successors, Robert Alexander Webb. he's the last one I deal with. And so... Uh, that's that's really it I, how i got onto this though is isn't a, a little different story but uh when i was at westminster studying for my phd and dr claire davis uh kept bringing up in classes that i'd have we you know if it was the uh a course a seminar on sanctification uh, there, uh i, I uh, one on american presbyterianism Uh, You know, we're just it it seemed like every class that that seminar that I took with him, he would bring up uh, somebody ought to do this for a paper. And he would mention, for instance, in in one of the courses, he said uh, uh, it was on American Presbyterianism. He said, uh, here's a good topic for a paper. Somebody should do a paper on doctrine of adoption. Those Southern Presbyterians really, really got it right. And so I thought, well, okay, I'll look at that, and uh, and so I did, and that's really how I became um, immersed and interested in the Southern Presbyterians. Uh, Doctor Davis also said something else. He said sometimes, you know, you look at these different seminaries in American Presbyterian history, and you wonder what are they? what are the distinctions? Of course, you've got the distinctions of the old school, new school seminaries, obviously that came up under the plan of union from 1812 to 1837, and uh, you know what the differences are there.
0: They're strong. Well, uh, yeah, sure, and and I may know, um, but can you briefly like highlight the, the the you know the salient differences at least? Well, sure.
1: Uh, just just real quickly, uh, George Marsden and his. His Yale dissertation does a good job of outlining this. He says the number one difference, number one issue between new school and old school was theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, new school uh, was following in the line of uh, the, the aberrations that had come in in New England theology under uh, the successors of Jonathan Edwards. And so theology was a, a major dividing point. Uh, ecclesiology the new schoolers were what we'd call today parachurch folks, mm-hmm. and the old schoolers were church folks. They uh, they believed that the church was the the agency God had put on earth to do His work, not not to be farmed out to uh, other other people. And so, uh, those are two major issues. the uh, The nature of the church was a big difference. Whether or not the church is a spiritual entity or whether it's to be uh, a political, social, uh, or as we call it today, a PAC, a political mm-hmm. action committee. Yep. And uh, the New Schoolers were big into all the movements of the time, whether it was temperance, whether it was uh, suffrage, whether it was uh, abolition, whether it was you name it. Those were their gospel points. And uh, the old schoolers said, No, look, Christ said that all authority is given to me. You go as my church, make disciples, baptize, and teach all that I've commanded. And I'll be with you to the end of the age. So those would be the major differences between new school and old school. So you had those seminaries, and so they were distinct. Like Union Seminary in New York was a new school. Union Seminary in Virginia was an old school. Uh, Princeton, of course, was an old school seminary. Uh, Columbia in South Carolina, now for the past 100 years, almost in Decatur, Georgia. But, um, but the old school seminaries uh, were, had distinctions as well. And again, I remember Dr. Davis saying, uh, here's something for you to think about. What's the difference between Princeton and Columbia? Mm. Well, look at the textbooks they used. Hodge followed Francis Turretin. Yep. And Thornwell and Adger and Girardot followed Calvin's Institutes. Now, that's not a hard, fast, you know, absolute rule. But Dr. Davis's observation was was quite astute. And the more I've studied it, the more I'm convinced he was right. And, uh, And that then allows for some other distinctives that come in. For instance, when we look at the doctrine of soteriology among the Southerners, and again, they're not monolithic on this, but there is a majority view in the Southerners concerning, for instance, the doctrine of adoption. If you remember from your systematic readings in Charles Hodge and R.L. Dabney, though Dabney was a Southerner, um, he was, though, invited to come and teach at Princeton, Mm -hmm. Charles Mm -hmm. Hodge, and declined. But one of the distinctions between the deep South Southern Presbyterians, like Thornwall, Gerardot, and others and, uh, and Hodge and Princeton in general was on the doctrine of adoption. Hodge largely followed Turretin and subsumed the doctrine under the heading of justification. Right. Whereas right. Thornwell said no, and here Thornwell was far better confessionally, um, and I think biblically, theologically, and that is he said no, it's its own doctrine. Mm-hmm. they're both forensic they're both declarative uh god the father declares us justified but he then declares us adopted as well one deals with his his uh penal or or judicial uh relation to us as a judge of the yep. earth and the other as the father
0: the well, i think it was Lord. i think it was you actually that one of the classes I took with you were, I think it was you that said this, that the difference between justification and adoption is justification. You're in God's courtroom and in adoption, he moves you into his living room. That's right. Yeah. I think it was you that said that, but whoever said it, it's, it's, it's great. I've used it many times. Yeah. Well, I said it
1: since it was great. I'm sure I said it. Yeah, sure. uh, Absolutely. I usually use the dinner table analogy because Mephibosheth is a great example of David, Covenantally committed comes. Don't be afraid. There's the reconciliation, justification matter, and right. you're going to eat with me all your days. Uh, there's the adoption side, and I'll I'll feed, I'll treat you. You'll sit at my table like my sons. And uh, a great, great passage there in the Old Testament that that helps us see so much of God's covenantal. Uh, uh, grace toward us. Yep. So anyway, that's one of the things we'll do is talk about some of those distinctions and and highlight the Southern contribution, for instance, in soteriology. Uh, we'll look at justification. Of course, that's that's always an important one. The reading assignments for this class are almost largely uh, primary source. That is, I have you reading, you know, straight from the horses mouths. Um, I do encourage people to to still read Doctor Smith's Studies in Southern Press Theology because it's a nice overview. But my reading requirements are all primary source so that you're reading their writings. And uh one of the things I have people read is Girido's Calvinism and Evangelical Arminianism. Mm-hmm. The second yep. half particularly is on justification. And uh there he does so such a wonderful job. Uh with all of this and uh, and so we'll look at those. We look at their theology of revival. 1858-59 is a high watermark in my opinion for revivalism, or I should say for revivals. Um, you know, we have the problem in the in the eighteenth century with the revivals. Not that God didn't didn't certainly do some great things and save a number of people, but the lasting effect of those revivals is not real encouraging.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and, and, you know, having sat through some of my classes, I have my, my perspective on that and believe I understand why that's true, largely because they were not church-centered. Uh, they weren't means-of-grace-oriented. Uh, they were They were of a single... Uh, orientation that was preaching, but that was often by itinerants, not by pastors. And even when it was with pastors, it was with roaming pastors instead of pastors mm. preaching to their congregation faithfully. Right. And uh, what we have in the 1858-59 revival um, is a concentration in churches focused on prayer and preaching, and um, and the churches thirty years later were filled with people who had been converted or renewed and refreshed during that that two or three year period and one of the um, one of the one of the epicenters of of the revival was in Charleston and in, in John Gerardo's congregation of uh, free men Slaves and whites. and uh, and that's a, a remarkable story and and we'll we'll do that. I will give that lecture on the theology of revival among Southern Presbyterians. I'll be drawing from Thomas Peck, from CC. C. Jones, from Gerardo, of course. Um, but that lecture will be given at the Anson Street mission. Oh, well, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Gerardo preached those early years to the, so many of the slaves, and where the revival took place, and uh, so we'll be looking forward to that on uh, Friday, August the 12th, in the afternoon after we have a nice, a nice uh, dinner or lunch, depending on which part of the country you're from.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. Now this is going to this is going to kick off Monday, August eighth at one o'clock, and that that those three days, uh, Doctor Wilborn, will be classroom, yeah. primary lecture, discussion on some of the things that you've already um, highlighted there. Now, um, who who is who is able to come to this yeah. class?
1: Let me mention for uh, folks who may have taken other classes and may have done some of my tours in the past, I. I uh, I do them in January on Tuesday, Wednesday, but this year or this this summer i'm gonna I'm gonna lecture Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in Greenville at the seminary and then Wednesday evening, we will move to uh, Columbia and uh, we'll begin first thing bright and early August the eleventh uh, we'll begin uh, at First Presbyterian Church, Columbia. Dr. John Richard DeWitt will join us there, as he has for several years. And he will uh, walk us through the properties and talk to us and uh, tell us some of his favorite stories about the history of uh, Columbia Presbyterianism and First Presbyterian Church history. And then he always gives us about uh, a—I had him start this two years ago—he gives us about a 30-minute— uh, lecture on uh, on on one of the one of the southern preachers and their preaching. It's mm, mm-hmm. distinct about their preaching and um, and so we'll do that on uh, Thursday morning, August the 11th. Then we'll move from there. We'll do a little walking tour from First Church to University of South Carolina. It's only about a three three block walk, and uh, we'll go to the South Caroliniana. Library, the oldest freestanding library building in the U.S., mm. and we'll get to see Thornwell and Gerardo archival material, sermons, letters, etc. And then we'll uh, then we'll go from there to the Robert Mills House, uh, where Columbia Seminary was housed for the first hundred years of its existence. Yep. And uh, that's uh, that's a brief stop, sort of a photo op as I. Often refer to it, but talk about a little of it, significance of it, and see its relationship to how close it was to First Pres and right. First. Yeah. So how it was, it was all part of that that community of First Presbyterian Church and the University of South Carolina. And then we'll uh, have we'll take a little little uh, dinner time, lunch time at uh, Maurice's barbecue on uh, Elmwood. And then across the street, we'll go to Elmwood Cemetery to visit with some of our venerable dead friends before we drive down to the Low Country to Johns Island Presbyterian Church, which is the oldest Presbyterian church building in the United States. a great 1719 structure. Uh, You know that it's my favorite church building anywhere. Uh, If I could... When we built a new building here in Oak Ridge, if I could have had the building I wanted, that's what I would like to have had. But
0: uh, yeah, it's 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 remarkable. Um, Box pews. Um, it, it's a remarkable, it's simple, and it's but simple. elegant at the same time. Exactly. I mean, it's it's a great building.
1: And then Friday, we spend all day long in Charleston. We start at First Scott's and um, and then end our day on Glebe Street, where Doctor Gerardo finished his preaching ministry to uh to slaves and whites there after the war
0: not did first scots did they get the renovations all done finally they are
1: finished yes fantastic yeah.
0: so, well it just backing up to columbia for a second i, I for those who don't know who uh I, i've been on this most of this tour dr wilborn has added a few elements to it for this particular class that he does in the summer but i've been to most of the stops and the venues and um i got to tell you, it's It's one thing to sit in a classroom and hear um, hear about these men and hear what they've done and their ministry and their labors and their, their impact to the church in a classroom. So it's, it's, it, that's great, right? It's a whole other thing, frankly, to be sitting on the venues and listening to Dr. Wilborn talk passionately about their work and their ministry and their impact. It just has a whole different flavor uh, to the entire uh, experience and learning process it just it marries everything up so nicely i remember going to elmwood cemetery and uh, seeing uh, thornwell's uh, um, where he's he's buried and then you tell that story of um of the i think it's the daughter well, anyway it's very it was a very emotional story i mean you almost can't get through it without shedding a few tears and um Anyway, it's just it's really great and it's a wonderful experience and it just marries up the learning process so much better than just sitting in a chair in a classroom, sort of disconnected away from the actual places where these men labored. I'm glad to see you, you push put it to the end of the week. It kinda
1: Yeah, it, 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 it yeah, I thought so and, and particularly for the summer. Uh back to to finish the answer to your question a few minutes ago, who who's this for? Who can come? Uh as I mentioned at General Assembly of the PCA last week, um, you know, if you want if you want to audit the whole week, if you, you're you not taking it for credit, or you can take it for credit, I know that I have some uh, some students who were in a class I taught at Puritan Reform a few weeks ago who have just let me know that they're planning to come. Uh, they, don't, they don't need the credit, so they're going to audit. But they want to be there for the week, and they want to do the tour. And um, so, if you'd like to just come and audit, there's provision. You just need to contact Mrs. Curto at the seminary and let her know about that. Uh, and then this: if 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 you can't be there for the whole week, and you just wanna you wanna join us for the Thursday, Friday, and you think, wow, that sounds great. You know, Thursday, Friday, and then we could stay in Charleston over the weekend and uh, enjoy some of the other beautiful. Uh, Sites in Charleston, uh, that would be great, and that's that's the main reason I moved it to Thursday, Friday was to accommodate folks who would like to come and take part in the tour for two days, and then uh, just stay for another day or two, perhaps in Charleston. And
0: uh, well, I think it's a gr- it's a great idea c- as one who's done it twice. Um, just you know, a little background there. I, 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 it's not the exact class, but uh, uh, the winter course, Doctor Wilborn. Uh, teaches at the seminary. First time around, I was doing it for credit and had to do all this, the, the, everything that you know, was assigned and go on the tour, and it was great. I was so energized by it. And then I think the very next year, I went just on the tour, and I've already got the credit for the class, and I could really soak it in then. It was just even better uh because i wasn't under the gun there wasn't a lot of pressure it was just soak up the environment it was fantastic but let me give the breakdown for those who may be interested who um and and are considering doing this if if you if you come for the summer theology class i mean you're taking it for mdiv credit that means you're you're trying to get an elective and mdiv credit it's 448 dollars That covers everything. It doesn't cover your whole, I don't believe it covers hotel fees and whatever on the tour, but, but it covers the class and, 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 and and the the whole week. Um, if you're just going to audit it, then it's $60. So, um, that's the breakdown. If you just want to go on the tour, it doesn't cost you anything except for, you got to, you know, meals and, and, and lodging. You'll have to pay for that. But, uh, um, anyway, um, but Dr. Wilborn usually lays all that out very nicely in a very nice um, itinerary so that with great suggestions of where to stay. And um, so you look at your budget and determine how you're going to do it. I know a bunch of us students used to get together and, and find some students that lived in that area, and we would stay with them. So there's ways of doing it for very, very little money. But um, that's the breakdown, and it is um, August 8th through the 12th. Now, uh, just real quick, uh, Dr. Wilborn, you, you mentioned Dr. DeWitt. How, how's he doing? physically these days. He's, he's doing well. Uh, I mean he's uh, you know he is,
1: he is, he is aging but uh, gracefully and mm. he's uh, he's still active and still teaches his Sunday school class every Sunday morning at First Pres in the uh, Smith Chapel and so he's doing well and uh, in addition to Dr. DeWitt you know in Charleston I have a Historian friend of mine, Dr. Pat Mellon, who's a yeah. historian that yeah. that does Second Presbyterian for us, and uh, just such a such a good friend. And then uh, we finished the day with uh, our friends at Mountain Zion A.M.E. Uh, the reason we go there is because it was built originally by Presbyterians for Presbyterians. and it has a considerable history among. Presbyterians, but then also uh, my good friend Alfonso Brown, who is uh, mm-hmm. his Gullah Tours of Charleston. Uh, I'll put a plug in for him. Uh, you might like to do his, his Gullah Tour also. That's a great one to do, maybe on that Saturday after we finish. But uh, he he tells something of the story of the transition of this property from the, from the white ownership Presbyterian ownership to the black congregation that has inhabited that building since 1882, and uh, that's always a, a a joy to hear of God's wonderful yeah. That's that great too. So uh, yeah. so we uh you know they get to they don't have to just listen to me. I try to add a little spice in among it all.
0: Uh, I mean, yeah, I've done it twice, as I've said, and and, and the guests lecturers if you want to call them that or men that share speak (coughs) excuse me they are it's very insightful um because they've been living and breathing this history for so long and it's just so helpful um to listen to them and again you're right there and they're talking about it so it's just it's just a great experience um just logistically dr wilborn i know when i went and used to caution the students about this as well how's the parking and the situation nowadays going on. Yeah. Well, you know, I know,
1: I've adjusted that a little to help because Charleston, uh, Columbia is not an issue. Um, uh, you know, we, we go to first pres, uh, we park in their parking lot. We walk to South Caroliniana, Uh, so it's, it's easy. Charleston can be a bit of a, a trick, <laughs> uh, but basically we start early enough, at first scott's that you can park on the street and just pay a meter and it's minimal you know you're going to pay 50 cents or something for the amount of time we're there
0: Yeah, just keep track of your time because yeah i tell this every year we do this little promo for the class but my first year doing the tour i got a ticket so parking ticket i'd lost track of time so just pay attention to your time (laughs) don't get a ticket and then uh then from there we we drive up and
1: some just park and just walk. And, and I give mm-hmm. enough time. They can. If, if you're a fast walker, you can do this. But uh, most like to then just drive up Meeting Street early that morning and park in one of the parking lots at 2nd Pres. They let us stay there as l- all as long as we want. And so from 2nd Presbyterian, we do a walking tour. Yep. And let me just say that you know, August will be warmer than January. But it, it's usually not uh, uh, not oppressively hot. There's usually a little breeze blowing in off the off the water, so Charleston's not that bad. And even if it rains a little bit, uh, most of our walking will be canopied by trees, and yep, you'll yep. have a little umbrella with you, so you'll be fine. We've had that happen before, and no one's ever melted. So so everybody makes. I uh, just tell them where. You know, good walking shoes and uh, things that will dry out easily if that were to happen.
0: Yeah, bring an appetite too, because Justine's. Yeah, we eat at Justine's kitchen. People tend to go there, yep. uh, Great food. And then walk
1: through the historic Anson district, Anson borough district, and uh, over to uh, through the. And that's part of what you were saying earlier. When you get out and you walk these streets where where these. uh, these men and, and women ministered to uh, the poor and the needy, and they they made history of mm-hmm. what they were doing there among the slaves. Um, and you begin to realize uh, my goodness, you know, Second Presbyterian Church started a number of churches, and they're all within almost a stone's throw of one another. Yep, yep. And today, we're so jealous for our territory, and back then, they were so jealous for God's kingdom. Yeah, And so they thought, you know, the more churches on the more corners, the better. Yep. And, uh, and so you get a, you start getting a grasp for that. And, uh, I think it's good for our churches today to, to wake up to the reality that, you know, we should want churches on every corner. Uh, we shouldn't be so, so, um, protective of our territory. And so, uh, you know the walking tours i think have have added a good deal to it both in Columbia and in Charleston.
0: yep and the whole experience is great it's it's even beyond the lectures and the venues it's the fellowship with each other and just immersing yourself in that whole experience is just fantastic so i've i've given the details for the for those who might want to come um the pricing if you if you are interested in the class um really would encourage it if you can do it um yeah bring your wives uh, men, um, uh, ladies, bring your husbands, come together, um, make a vacation out of it, so to speak. Uh, the, uh, top of the article that was written to promote this class is titled a vacation for those in love with truth. And so you can turn it into that. And the way Dr. Wilborn has structured it now, you can hang out for the weekend in Charleston and kind of get away for, you know, a weekend together or however, however you do it. But, um, if you are interested in in signing up for the class, you can you can email um, our registrar, Mrs. Kathleen Curto. Uh It's simply registrar at gpts.edu. edu. Um, we do have a website for the class as well. It's it's on our. Uh, just go to gpts.edu, edu and there's a banner there, and you can click on it, and um, it'll take you right to it and give you a lot of a, a real summary of what we've talked about. Um, uh, today, Doctor Wilborn, anything further? Um, if, if 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 you had to say only one thing to to really motivate someone to want to do this class for the week, uh, what would it be? Hmm. One. Th- it's tough when you say one thing. Well, maybe yeah. two things.
1: Well, you know, one of the things that uh, a few years ago, a good friend of mine who's a historian uh just said you know i know you you appreciate the southern presbyterians but really you know couldn't you get the same thing elsewhere and the answer is in most cases yes because these men were international reformed thinkers and by that what i mean to communicate is that you know they weren't on an island by themselves they weren't coming up with new and different things When Doctor Gerardo did so much of his work on the doctrine of adoption, you know he's standing right there in line with John Owen and Thomas Boston and uh, you know William Ames and John Calvin. Uh, He was a confessional theologian in that sense, and yet he made such a wonderful contribution and helped promote the doctrine of adoption. Uh, But I think one of the things you as I went on to talk to this friend, he later uh, began reading the Southerners and uh and when he did he he just he 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 wrote me a note and just said, "You know, I need to repent of having not read these men before. Um, my biases had kept me away from them because they were Southern Presbyterians." And he's not from the south, not even from our country. But uh, I, I accepted his repentance, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I do think that you know we often uh, I had a professor in college, Bill, that used to say this: we're usually down on what we're not up on. And that, right. Yeah, <laughs> it's a cute little <laughs> saying. We're usually down on things we're not up on. Right. And, right. And what he meant was we. We can often be very critical of things when we really don't know what we're talking about. And we'd, yep. we'd be better off if we were informed before we make judgments. And uh, and I think with these men, what, one of the things you find is that, uh, as I said earlier, concerning theology, they're not monolithic concerning social matters. They weren't monolithic mm-hmm. concerning political matters. They weren't monolithic uh, what you begin to realize there's one area they they do agree and that is in their their love for christ and his church and their desire to to know the truth and to pursue it and uh, and then it, that helps us uh, uh, in so many ways it helps us examine our own hearts so that's that's more than two or three things but I would just say that, you know, they're so, they've been so p- neglected, and there are a lot of reasons for their neglect. Um, but because of the neglect, the church has missed out. Uh, you know, we had missed out on the Puritans. And in the 1950s, when Ian Murray and some others who had started reading them, finding their old books and, and musty old, closets and stuff and began reading and realized there was this treasure trove of of spiritual uh, uh, goods out there that, that most reformed people had never been exposed to and so the Banner of Truth came along and they started republishing John Owen and Richard Sibbs and others and the church is much better for it Fifty years later, and uh, and I, I I think similarly, um, the Southerners have been greatly neglected. Yeah. Uh, if nothing else, this class helps helps us understand them and expose them uh, to the church a little more, so the church can be better for having known them.
0: Yep. Well, you know the old what they say about not studying history. I mean, even those who study history still make some of the mistakes that history told us not to make. So if we don't study it, we're for sure to do it. So it's uh, I just know personally, I can only speak from my own personal experience in the class. I mean, Dr. Wilborn is well studied on the subject, um, knows the material in and out. Um, But just the experience, it was energizing, it was motivating, it was edifying, it was encouraging. It was just keep going. It just helped the mindset of persevere continue doing what you're doing and um so i really enjoyed it personally and and i know others have as well and um always encourage people the the tour at least is 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 i mean do the whole do the whole week of course but the tour is just fantastic and um i'm actually tempted to do it again by the way you're in new york right bill i am all right
1: is that no i think that makes a point
0: it does Do we have – we don't need to elaborate on that, point, but I think everybody gets it. Yep. I I love my Southern Presbyterian heritage – history, um, but I'm not from the South, but uh, very much been impacted by um, what I studied at Greenville Seminary, but but was already attracted in that direction even before I went to seminary. So – and for some of the reasons that Dr. Wilborn has highlighted today and what he'll get into in depth – during the class, so that's a little highlight of, of of what's coming, what what's going on at Greenville Seminary in the summer. It, it's generally pretty quiet around the seminary, but we have these two classes. We have the summer institute with Dr. Chad Van Dixhorn on the Westminster Assembly and pastoral care, um, and then we have the um, summer theology course on Southern Presbyterian theology with Dr. Uh, Nick Wilborn. And so every year that we do something like this, and um, and so take advantage of it. It's 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 really worth your while. And so again, if you're interested in, in registering, you can go to the website and you can you can register right there or you can contact the registrar at at the seminary registrar at gpts.edu. Any concluding remarks there, sir, brother, yeah. doctor? I think that's that's got it. Be happy Very to, good. happy to see folks out in August. Yeah. Me yeah, it's it's going to be a great week, exciting um, exciting week well let me uh, just quickly before Dr. Wilborn hangs up on me let me quickly um, tell the listeners what is coming up I've uh, I've updated the coming up section of the website I'm usually way behind doing that and, and please forgive me for that but um, I do have it straight now I think um, July 8th, uh, Dr. and Van Dixhorn will be on the program to talk about his uh, the Summer Institute class that I've uh, briefly mentioned. And then uh, following him the week after, Dr. Piper will be back on the program to do his monthly installment of Faith in Practice. If you haven't heard about that program, then you're missing out. Uh, One, if you submit a question, you get $10 off a purchase at the Banner of Truth. Um, So so it's it's book money, you know, milk money, book money. Um, So you can go to the website, you can submit questions there, and, and if they're used on the air, you'll receive a discount to the Banner of Truth. The week after that, Dr. Alan Harmon will be on the program to talk about his book, Preparation for Ministry. So if you're thinking about seminary, if you're thinking about the ministry, this book is very practical. It's an outstanding book uh, and to give great guidance. Um, The following weeks, uh, pretty much right in a row, one, two, three, we're going to be talking uh, with various individuals from the various Presbyterian denominations across the country uh, a, a, as it pertains to their General Assemblies, the OPC, the ARP, and then the Presbyterian Church in America. So those are the things that are coming up. There's more scheduled. Go to the website and, and click on the coming up section, and you can see that we have programs now scheduled all the way into September. So I'm um, very thankful for that, and that's kind of where we're headed uh, for the next few months. If you have any questions about the program, you can always write me. It's hope at gpts.edu. We're on Twitter and Facebook, of course. Who isn't? Um, so avail yourself of those resources, and don't forget the website, confessingourhope.com. So until next time, when we sit down with Dr. Chad Van Dixorn, uh, probably the leading scholar on the Westminster Assembly uh, currently, um, uh, until next time, we do thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And God knows.